So we all know the story of Abram. It's one of those classic stories. God calls Abram, says, want you to leave Ur and, and with your family? And they went to Haran. And from Haran, they begin to move toward Canaan. And Abram and that move from, from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans into Canaan toward that direction. He has his lows and his highs. One of his lows is when he starts to go into Egypt because there was a little bit of a famine going on. He wanted to go get some food. Uh, he said to Sari, who is now Sari, not, not Sarah yet. Uh, you know, they get their names changed here in a couple of chapters. Uh, he says to Sari, look, you're, you're really a good looking woman. Uh, uh, tell you what I need you to do. I need you to pretend you're my sister because if they think you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you. And so it does. And we all know that bad things happen to, to the Pharaoh because of and the Pharaoh says to Abram, what have you done to me? Your God is all over me and creating problems for me. How dare you do this? Uh, why don't you guys go away? So Abram was, had a little bit of his low there. He had been very generous with Lot, though, if you remember. He and Lot... Uh, uh, come to a land, and he says, uh, they've got, now they've gotten so wealthy and so many herds and so many flocks that, that uh, they have to divide up the land. And he lets Lot go first, even though Lot's the younger. He's the nephew. He lets Lot go first and choose. And of course, Lot, being no fool, chooses the best land. And Abram gets what's left and, of course, prospers in it. And he becomes very wealthy. Immediately before the story we're looking at today, uh, Lot has been captured, you know, Lot got into Sodom and Gomorrah, got captured, the kings captured him, and, and so Abram takes uh, 318, I think it is, people, and, and, and goes out and fights a battle and frees Lot, and so Lot has been saved, kings have been defeated, Melchizedek has shown up, the great priest of God has shown up, so things are going pretty good for Abram right now, and so uh, he's had his lows, he's had his lies, his highs. But along the way, this whole path between the lows and the highs and everything going on, God has consistently made two promises to Abram. One is, you're going to be a great nation with lots of descendants. And secondly, you're going to possess the land of Canaan. It will be yours. And these promises are the issue for Abram. Abram has been victorious. He's wealthy. He's established himself. He knows that danger is real because he, there are other kings who would love to take him as he, and, and, and kill him and take everything he has as he's walking through there. So God has said, I will be your shield. Abram, don't worry about those kings. I'm taking care of you. So there's real danger. Uh, uh, things seem to be going well for Abram, but he's got God protecting him. And then God declares that he will be that shield and protector for Abram and a great reward. Now, the reward isn't God here, and it isn't the protector. It really says, I'm going to give you great reward. And so Abram has been told this, and, and Abram sees this as a real issue. That's the issue, I have no heir and I have no descendant, and you promise me I'll be a nation of descendants that are just multitudes, and I will own this land, and I will get none of that. Abram moves into a limit to God. God, you keep promising me. I've heard your promise since you called to me in the land of the Chaldeans, but I have no heir. I have no descendants. A servant is going to inherit all this great wealth I have. My family will never have this. My people will never have this. And he says to God, what can you give me? It doesn't matter, God. I'm not going to own it. My family's not going to own it. I have no legacy to leave. 
because I have no one to leave a legacy to. And so God, what can you give me? There is nothing you can give me, I have no heir. So a divine promise has been made and God makes the divine promise again. You're going to have an heir. You're going to have a son from your own body. And Abram's response, and maybe rightly so, is doubt and uncertainty. And he expressed that as this lament here. We all know that in, in that day and age, to be childless was really a, a sign of God's blessing not being upon you. It wasn't just, I don't have any kids. It was, God has taken blessing away from you. And so that is how Abram is feeling. He is feeling that he has no future. Abram is saying, your promise means nothing, God. It ends with me. And in that day and age, and even still to today for some folks, this idea of leaving legacy, leaving children is how you see your life moving on. Abram says, I have no future. God listens to Abram. It's very important to understand this. You can lament to God. You can tell God your deepest fears, hurts, anger at God. And God listens. And so Abram was lamenting and said, God, I'm sorry, I just can't believe you. And God listens to, to Abram. His doubt is, is and, and God responds. And, and, and the way that God responds is that he does not give an argument to Abram. Well, here's how it's going to happen. He gives no proof that his promise is true. He simply restates the promise. You're going to have an heir. And he makes another assertion. I've made a promise. It's going to come true. And then he gives Abram a sign. Not proof, simply a sign. He says, Abram, look up. Count the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. When this, you read this and, and you think about how God is supposed to be showing himself here, it really causes you to kind of scratch your head and say, huh? Instead of making the promise more rational, I like as one commentator said, God radicalizes the promise via this sign. Your descendants will be like the stars. There's no evidence of that, but God is saying it. And here's your sign. Try to count the stars. It's going to be more than that, Abram. And this comes, then comes this high water mark of the Bible. It is the cornerstone for the Apostle Paul's theology and soteriology. And we are told these words, Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. Several things to note in this. God's promise is made before Abraham's belief. There is no prosperity gospel here. If you just believe it enough and you just believe God, he'll give you everything. No prosperity gospel here. God works before Abram believes. The sign is an invitation to view the promise of God in light of who God is. If you will allow me to say it this way, the personal character of God. Abram's able to view the promise and is invited to view the promise about you don't need a sign. Abram, you just need to know me. Is my character not worthy of your belief? And then this notion of righteousness is not about some ideal norm that Abram is living up to and meeting. It is simply about a right relationship. God, you're God. I'm Abram. We're in relationship. I trust you. That's really what it's about. Abram believes 
He trusts God despite, despite all of Abram's insecurities. Notice God does not test Abram's deeds or even his thoughts or his insecurities like he's doing some kind of forensic exam on, on Abram. We often think that God does that, examining us deeply. Well, God helps us to see ourselves, but it's not a forensic thing like can you measure up. God simply says believe. Faith, even in the midst of doubt, is indicative of one in right relationship with God. And so the invitation to count the stars is an invitation to see the world as a world of promise and to see God's word from a different perspective, a perspective of promise. The wide horizon of God's sovereignty transposes the human perspective, even ours at times. We can see the promises of God from a different perspective, God's perspective, not our limited perspective. Abram says, God, I'm sorry, I don't see it. I'm an old man and I don't have any children. God has a different perspective. And if God can do this, that is give us stars that are too many to count, how hard would it be for God to give you descendants? Abram is invited to a perspective not mired in his immediate moment, but one anchored in the reality of who God is. Abram's perspective is drastically altered through God's view. Abram has repented, changed his mind, moved from unbelief to belief. He has turned around. That's what repentance means, right? Turn around, change your mind. And he sees his situation in a different life. God's word, as unbelievable as it may seem, descendants like the stars has evoked Abram's faith because of who God is. Not because of how God demonstrated proof, but simply by who God is. The divine word has power to shape human response. God declares Abram righteous because of Abram's willful trust of the word of promise. Abram's trust is not easy, and trust is often not easy for us. It can be a struggle against tremendous odds as we look at the world around us, as we look at our own lives and what happens in those sometimes. And, and sometimes it would seem that trust defies reality. And the reality is it does defy our reality. There's no romantic notion here of faith as easy wish thinking. It's easy to do, just have faith and everything will be okay. That's not what's going on here. Abram has looked at the character of God and said, that is something that is someone who I can trust. The second half of the story begins with God stating who God is again and, and repeating the promise of the land. This land's going to be yours. And in another high watermark, we are told that God establishes a covenant. This is the establishment of the Abrahamic covenant with Abram and that his descendants will possess the land. The details aren't important here. What is important is to see that God acts. Again, God radicalizes the promise, this time by taking an oath, making a covenant. It's startling to see that it is God who is taking the oath, not Abram. You would expect Abram to say, I'll be true, I'll be loyal, I'll be honorable, and then God, you'll do this thing for me. That's not how it worked. Abram's saying, I'm not sure how we're going to get this land, and God takes an oath to make it real. God takes the initiative to establish the relationship of trust with Abram. 
He's doing what Abram cannot do. God in our life moves toward us and does for us what we cannot do in terms of belief. Abram simply had to trust, to simply believe God. Abram had demonstrated his doubt, which called forth divine assurance from God, which in turn, again, nurtured Abram's faith. Faith always means trusting amid doubt and uncertainties. I worry about people who tell me they have no doubt, they have no uncertainties. Get a grip on reality, folks. It's tough. This world does not always look like a world that God has created. And yet, in the midst of this, we do believe, do we not? We trust in the midst of our doubt and our uncertainties. And when we think we have an airless and a futureless life, we find God there saying, no, you are my child and you have a future. God's response to human existence that seemingly at times we feel like we have no future is the creation of a new future for us. A new divine oath to be faithful in bringing about the true reality, that future reality that God has for us. This is the Lenten story. This is what Lent is all about. God demonstrates the initiative in the cross to demonstrate God's faithfulness to us and to our promised future. Our response is simply to trust. Simply to trust. To be pulled from that radicality of not believing to the radicality of promise. Promise of God and God's own self for us. The one who makes the promise. Faith arises from a reorientation in which the character of God, not the conditions of our lives, is the focal point. It is God that we're about. Our promises are true because of God, not because of us. This is the reorientation that Paul was talking about in, in, in Philippians that Chuck read for us earlier. We are to see ourselves as not having minds mired in earthly things, but as citizens of heaven, awaiting the transforming power of Christ. We have a future. This is our promise, and despite everything, Paul says this is how you stand firm. This is how you have faith. This is how you trust. And God credits that as righteousness. Though we are not righteous, God declares us to be. And thus we are. That's the key. Thus we are righteous. You have nothing else to do. We're invited to count the stars. When we look at Dayspring and, 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 and you think of all the things going on in churches in the world and, and, and all the things happening and, and everyone tells us churches are on decline and you look at a lot of the ways and you could argue that. And, and maybe the church is going to go out of existence and maybe you could argue that if you wanted to with some numbers. But God says, go outside. Look up. Count the stars. I promise that there will be a people. And right now, we're those people. And so all we have to do is trust. For us in our lives are things that go wrong and things that challenge us. And sometimes we, we believe there is no future. Or at least we don't think we have a good future. God says to us and invites us, go outside. Look up. Count the stars if you can. Your future is greater than that. Because our future is bound in the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he did to build a covenant with us on the cross.
Amen.